Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Wednesday, July 19th. Bob Kemp, Caleb Mortlaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll make room for Alex Myers of Golf Digest talking about the Open Championship around 11.15. But as we typically do, let's reset the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which features uh, the topic about the Arizona Diamondbacks and should the D-backs offer top minor league prospect shortstop Jordan Lawler to the White Sox for starting pitcher Dylan Cease in hour number one. Uh, yes was leading the way. Now we have no out in front at 55 percent of the vote. Yes trailing at 45 percent. Okay, real fast just to give you some numbers uh, as far as Lawler, he's a Double A uh, Amarillo. Not hitting a high average, which is a little surprising because that's a hitter's league, but he's hitting 243, does have 13 homers, 39 runs batted in so far this season at double A with 30 uh, with excuse me, 26 stolen bases. Cease, on the other hand, high earned run average, a little higher than I actually thought when I looked it up, is 418, but he does have 129 strikeouts and 107 and two-thirds innings. And uh, something to factor in on any trade between now and the trade deadline is the 13 days, by the way. Uh, but Cease uh, is a uh, contract situation, $5.7 million this season. He has two more el- uh, eligible arbitration years, and then he becomes a free agent after the 2026 season. And Scott Boris is his agent. That's always something to factor in. Uh, we'll answer Especially that. Especially during that free. He, he always, he, I shouldn't say always, almost always waits and try, tries to get his clients to free agency. So obviously you get a bigger payday. We will answer that question around 1130. Still time for you to cast your vote on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Is Florida State a legitimate contender to reach the 2023 college football playoff final four? No leading the way at 75 percent of the vote. Yes, trailing at 25 percent. Bob had a conversation with Essen Kasim of the Tallahassee Democrat talking all things Florida State football. And that's where we'll lead ourselves into uh, this segment here. Uh, Florida State football will open up the season on September 3rd facing LSU. Just some numbers from Vegas. To win the college football playoff, Florida State is 25-1. to In comparison with other teams, Georgia's plus 220, Alabama's plus 600, Ohio State plus 750, Michigan plus 850, LSU 12-1, to USC 16-1. to Just to make it to the college football playoff, Florida State is plus 380. I think we'll know a lot more about Florida State after the first month of the season. You mentioned that LSU game. Of course, they played last year in New Orleans uh, to start the season. And uh, yeah, LSU, uh, you know, didn't, they weren't able to uh, you know, con- con- complete the two point conversion at the end of that game. And FSU won that game by one point. 
They had uh, some peaks and valleys during the regular season. After that, they ended up with 10 wins, though. Florida State, for the first time since uh, 2016, that Florida State had won 10-plus games. But uh, not just that first game. They also play at Clemson on uh, the uh, final Saturday of September. They don't play North Carolina or Duke uh, this particular year. And some some people believe that... uh, after you know, FSU and Clemson, that those are the two best teams in the ACC this year. Uh, you would look at how Florida State was on offense last year. Uh, 214.1 rushing yards per game, which was yeah. good for 13th. 270.2 passing yards per game. Number one in the ACC rushing the ball, by the way. Number one in the conference. Correct. Uh, 270.2 passing yards per game, which was 28th. And also, I'd have to think here that Trey Benson was a large part of that running back game. Uh, he had 154 carries last year, 990 yards. But most of that production, you saw it as he got back into the swing of things and got acclimated with Florida State. That seven-game stretch to finish the year, 662 rushing yards, six touchdowns, and that included games over Clemson, Miami, and Florida. He also was not the only. uh, They had kind of running back by committee for a while. They've had some guys transfer out and some guys transfer in uh, at that position in the last uh, few months here. So uh, we'll see how that rotation works. But Benson clearly is their number one dude. As for the passing game with Jordan Travis, he threw 3,214 yards with a 64% completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, and five interceptions. And you mentioned Johnny Wilson as being a big target for him. That's true. Big and like 6'7", and uh, ASU fans are probably shocked that he's actually turned out to be a really good college football player to the extent where you know, he might be a first-round pick. Um, he's uh, athleticism. He's huge, obviously. Uh, he's you know, done a better job of catching the football. Still had some drops last year, but not to the high level of uh, frequency that unfortunately we saw when he was at ASU. On the defensive side of the ball for uh, the Seminoles last year, they gave up 156.4 rushing yards, 165.4 passing yards, and overall defensively ranked 15th. It's really fascinating to just kind of think about this position for Florida State that Mike Norvell, there were a lot of expectations for him when he uh, received the head coaching job. And last year, heading into the season, fans were restless. It seems like the narrative was really that he was on the hot seat. That was the, the prevailing conversation. They go and they win 10 games. Now you fast forward to the beginning of this year and the expectations are college football playoff conversation uh, and and it's, I think, obviously not on the hot seat anymore. No, uh, he inherited a terrible situation when he got there. I mean, it was just, it was a mess. Uh, so, you know, I don't think that anybody realistically thought they were going to be really good real soon. Uh, they, he's done a really good job of uh, you know, deepening the roster. I still think that's my biggest question about Florida State, though, is they've still got some positions, especially linebacker. Uh, and maybe defensive back where they might have some depth issues. And, you know, they are not going through. The ACC is still not, I don't think, a, you know, top couple of conferences. Uh, they're, they don't have that many good teams. I think, in fact, there's maybe two good teams, and I'm not even sure. I'm not buying North Carolina. I know a lot of everybody, everybody else seems to be buying North Carolina, and I'm definitely not buying Drake May. 
as a quarterback who was really not good in some of their games against better defenses last season. But uh, you know, Florida State, uh, can they? Do they have the depth to make it through an entire season? If they, you know, there's going to be some injuries somewhere, and uh, you know they've got a couple positions where you really kind of question whether they're going to have guys that are able to step up and and uh, be the next man up, as they say in football. Well, you mentioned uh, North Carolina. Let's just look at the odds for the ACC. Clemson remains out in front at plus 155. Florida State nipping at their heels at plus 185. Then Louisville plus 750. And North Carolina at plus 850. So when you think about Clemson here, they have kind of been the cream of the crop in the ACC for several years here. They're obviously moving in the direction now of Cade Klubnick at quarterback. So the question for me to you is, has the gap narrowed when it comes, though, to Clemson and the rest of the ACC um well considering they've won the ACC like uh, every year but one over the last like decade I don't know if there is I think the question is has the ACC gotten closer to Clemson uh so we'll see how that goes but uh, I'm not buying club Nick either uh he had some good moments last year had some moments where you wondered why the hell is he out there uh you know DJ and he went back and forth a little bit so Got some questions about Clemson. Also, uh, another thing about Clemson is they, they're, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know if they're quote wide receiver U. I think that's probably Ohio State these days, but Clemson certainly was wide receiver U uh, during the last decade. And the last couple of years, they kind of lacked in wide receivers. They think they're better in that area this year, but we'll see how that goes. And also, they've been tremendous as far as the defensive line goes for a long time. And they seem to be maybe a little short in that area this year, too, compared to what they usually are. I skipped over this when we were talking about Florida State just from a win-loss perspective. Over 9.5 wins at minus 134, under 9.5 wins at plus 110 for Florida State. In the ACC, you mentioned you're not really feeling North Carolina. Have some questions about Clemson and Cade Klubnick. Uh, Louisville sitting here at plus 750. Do they do anything for you? I think the Duke is the team that has to be discussed here. Uh, you know, they did a tremendous job last year. You know, they, you know, they, you know, kind of Mike Elko, your former defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, uh, came in and was, you know, he's the head coach there now. And Duke in football, uh, unless Steve Spurrier, you go back to the Spurrier days, uh, something you don't uh, you know, talk about too much. Cutcliffe had a couple of decent teams there, uh, but he stayed too long. Elko kind of uh, inherited his mess. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, I, if somebody's going to challenge, I think it's actually Duke. Uh, we will be talking about LSU in the 9.15 hour tomorrow with Wilson Alexander from The Advocate as Bob continues to go through some college football previews across the different conferences. We turn our attention in the extra point today to Alex Myers of Golf Digest as he'll be chatting the Open Championship with us on the other side of the break. As I mentioned, Scotty Scheffler is the odds-on favorite at plus 650. Rory McIlroy nipping at his heels coming off of the win from the Scottish Open at plus 750. John Rahm, who won the Masters, is it possible to say John Rahm is the forgotten guy heading into this thing out of the big three that have kind of established themselves this year? He's 12 to 1. We'll talk to Alex Myers next. It is the Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060, online at KDUS1060.com, now with the KDUS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports.
Serving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. I've been hyping it up all show long. It's the conversation with Alex Myers from Golf Digest as the final major of the year is here. The Open Championship from Royal Liverpool at Hoy Lake. Alex, Kayla with you. Thank you so much for the time as always. How are you? I'm doing great, Kayla. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. A little bummed that this is now the final major of the year to talk about, but always excited to get into it here as uh, all the golfers come together and there's plenty of storylines to discuss. And it kind of starts here with the fact that the last time the Open Championship was contested at Royal Liverpool, it was 2014. Rory McIlroy won. The course, though, is a bit different. It was a par 72 last time. It's a par 71 this time. Uh, What significant change? have been made to this golf course and are we thinking it's going to play firm and fast or is there maybe some softer conditions uh, expected this year yeah I mean it's looking there's been a ton of rain both last month and this month and even this week Uh, you know hearing players talk about how it's it's not going to be as firm as what you know you'd like to see Uh, Michael Kim gave a fantastic scouting report He's a must-follow on Twitter, and he kind of broke that all down. And, you know, in 2014, um, you know, it was it was definitely firmer than this, but it wasn't certainly wasn't like it was in 2006. That was, of course, when Tiger Woods won, and he only hit driver one time the entire week, and he was just kind of laying up with his uh, four-iron or his two-iron, and, uh, you know, the ball was just rolling for hundreds of yards. Uh, so it's not going to be like that this week. You mentioned the changes. Um, you know, it is going to play slightly longer just because they only added about 75 yards, but it is a par 71 now instead of a 72. One of the par fives was changed to a par four. And the new hole is actually very short. The 17th, it's a new par three that replaces the 15th. It's only listed at 136 on the card, but it's an elevated green. It's very exposed by the coast, um, and it's got these treacherous deep bunkers and it's got people talking, and it sounds like the players aren't particularly pleased with this one. Jordan Spieth says you could see some carnage there. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick called it interesting. And now Pete Cowan, who's a legendary coach, he currently works with Brooks Kepko, he's worked with Rory McIlroy, he said, quote, it could ruin someone's career if the wind picks up the wrong way. So <laughs> look out for this 17th hole. It's called Little Eye, but it's going to be a big challenge for these guys. Uh, I hope it doesn't ruin anyone's career. Um, no, yeah, I hope he's wrong about that. Yeah. It seems like driving accuracy, though, is going to be important. You alluded to it when Tiger won here. He just busted out two iron all day long. Uh, then fairways, driving distance maybe wasn't as important. But now here in 2023, the game plan probably has to be fairways, but also some some distance as well. So does that take away maybe some of the shorter hitters if distance is really paramount yeah no i think it does i mean for sure i mean that's you know links golf we love it because it kind of brings everybody into play you know you can play aggressively with drivers but you can also get away with it you know two irons three irons off the tee you're not going to really be able to do that as much this week uh, it's going to be playing a lot longer 
than, again, what, what people saw in 2014 and certainly what they saw in 2006. So, um, you know, it doesn't take guys totally out of it, but it just means you have to be extra sharp. Now, that being said, the, the Bombers can't just go crazy here. And, you know, it, you have to really be in control with your tee shots at this course in particular. Of the 14 par 4s or par 5s, um, six of them have out-of-bounds on them. And when there's not out-of-bounds, there's always, you know, the high fescue lurking. And on a few of these holes, there's this internal out-of-bounds, which is getting a lot of talk, of, especially on the 18th hole, the par 5, runs right along the right side. If you're just a little off the fairway, you're not only in the rough, you're, you're deemed out-of-bounds. You have to go back and, and replay your shot. So, uh, you know, obviously, as we know, the stroke and distance penalty is the harshest in the game. So, um, you know, you could be cruising along and you could hit a couple – bad tee shots and next thing you know you've made a couple double bogeys so uh it's going to test it's going to make you hit more drivers but you're going to have to hit the driver straight this week uh this tournament is also very challenging with the weather and the draw that you get but at least on paper right now it doesn't seem like there is maybe a significant draw advantage at least here for thursday carnage could be always looming around the corner and again on paper it looks like things are going to be pretty calm for thursday and then friday and maybe the rain starts to kick up again on saturday exactly and that's what we gotta hope um you know unless you're betting someone uh, planning on a, a weather wave you know we've seen that in past opens uh you know i think maybe the most famous was the 2010 at st andrews when louis stays and had that huge lead he got incredibly lucky with the weather a lot of other people did too that week and they didn't take advantage like he did but um you know this tournament in particular is where you see weather play a factor and there's a lot of luck involved uh with your tee times uh you know with the bounces you're getting uh, but really with these tee times. But like you said, Thursday, Friday look to be pretty similar. Now, again, that could change in the, the next five minutes. They look to be pretty similar, and so do Saturday, Sunday, where more, more rain is going to come back. So everybody's going to be competing in this slog over the weekend. Um, you know, that's what Michael Kim was saying. Like, you know, the course could firm up a little by Friday, but it's not going to be anything crazy. He thinks there are going to be some really low scores probably shot on Thursday when the course is at its softest. Um, you've got a front nine that's significantly easier than a back nine. So, you again, you could see guys getting off to really hot starts and this, then just trying to hold on to the back nine. But I think, yeah, I think you're going to have to shoot a pretty good score on Thursday to feel like you're really in the mix because the course will get a little tougher on Friday and then who knows what's going to happen with the weekend, um, you know, when, when that rain starts falling again. Alex Myers, Golf Digest here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. All right, Scotty Scheffler, uh, mm. plus 650 odds, so it's really hard to swallow those odds. But yes. when it comes to just how historic this man is playing golf, his ball striking continues to be on another planet. His putting continues to lose strokes. Uh, it feels like if he can just get himself to be even strokes gained for the week, he's going to win. Uh, even strokes gained with the flat stick, that is. He is going to win just with how good that ball striking is. So how do you feel about placing a bet on Scotty this week? Yeah, so you know, it's funny. I've, I've talked myself out of it just because I've been talked into his co-favorite, although now you're right, he's kind of split back in front of Rory McIlroy. I've kind of been talking into Rory. Scotty was my number one bet. Uh, for the last month coming in, I kind of do this weekly, week-by-week week update thing. 
I can't imagine him playing this good of golf an entire year and not winning a major. But again, I've kind of flipped to Rory. I'll probably regret that. But you're right. If he even putts to the field average, there's a great chance he wins this golf tournament. That's how historically great his ball striking has been. Again, we can only use these you know, modern stats for the last 20 years, but only Tiger Woods is on this level. You know, he's got, what, 18 consecutive top 12s. He's got a huge top five streak going now as well. I mean, he literally never has a bad week. It's, it's remarkable, and that's even with him struggling with the putter. So, um, no, I, you know, Rory or Scotty, I can't do both. It's, it's silly because, like you said, it's tough to swallow those odds. But to me, it does make sense to at least bet one of them. Uh, the, one of my Rory bets is also, which I had Scotty, it's the U.S. Open is a top five, you know, get your money back or whatever, mm-hmm. get, get something. You know, those guys are just so good right now. It's hard not to take them in one of those bets when all they have to do is finish in the top five and you at least get something back. So I love both those guys. But, again, I've been talking to Rory, especially after that Scottish Open finish. Um, you know, he's been doing the – not been doing the press tours, been blowing off uh, press conferences. I don't really blame him. He's been doing a lot of talking the last year, and he's kind of sick of it. He's kind of over it, the whole Live PGA Tour, potential merger and everything else. He's playing great golf right now, um, like Scotty. They're clearly the two best players in the world right now. I don't think there's any debate there. And, um, yeah, but I, I just can't take two of them. I'm going to lean with Rory, but uh, I, I might end up regretting that. So there's like zero actual, uh, you know, any, any metrics to back this up here. But is there any uh, cause for concern with a curse where you go and you win the Scottish Open and then you haven't been able to pull it off and win the Open Championship? That's in reference there to Rory. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think there's really enough to go on with that because, you know, that, that just became a PGA Tour sanctioned event in the last few years. It's obviously got an incredible field just the last two years, really. Before that, it was you know a solid event, but nothing special. You never you didn't see a lot of the big names playing it, so I don't think we could hang our hat on that. I know there's other stats about you know world number ones not winning majors that that hurts Scotty Scheffler. Again, I'm not going to read too much into that either. At some point, that has to change. Um, but no, I I do give Rory the edge based on the fact that he did win at this golf course in 2014. I think that has to count for something. And when you talk about a nine-year gap with a, a venue, especially an open venue, there aren't that many guys who are, are very familiar with this course. So right off the bat, Rory starts with a little bit of an edge. Uh, there, Like we talked about, there are some changes to the course for sure, but certainly him being back there must feel nice. Um, it's not the last major he won. He won, you know, he won about a month later back in 2014, that PGA Championship of Valhalla. But crazy to think it's been nine years since he's won a major. Um, you know, he's certainly the guy to beat now following that Scottish Open win. But um, I liked how he played there. I liked how he got acclimated to the conditions. And, again, I think he's got, um, you know, little good vibes on, on his side uh, going back to Royal Liverpool. Alex Myers, Golf Digest here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Okay, so Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy have kind of anointed themselves as the two best. And when we 
kind of we're heading into maybe the Masters conversation. We were talking about the big three, and that was John Rahm, and then he goes and he wins right. the Masters. Right. But now he's kind of uh, right or wrong, kind of tapered off a little bit here. He's yep. at 12 to 1, and he's maybe that forgotten guy now. Uh, he started off the year in incredible form. As I mentioned, the Masters win. Uh, he's another guy who gained strokes off the tee. He's a great ball striker. So yep. is he a potential pivot here if he just can't stomach the numbers for Scotty and Rory? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was shocked to see that the other day that he's twelve to one, thirteen to one, maybe fourteen to one in some places. Um, you know, all year we've kind of seen them all those three guys bunched at the top. So uh, I, I think he's a slightly underpriced there. So yeah, if you don't want to, you know, if you want a double digit guy, uh, he, he's certainly a more palatable choice. The guy who I, well, the two guys I really love. Um, it, it, again, because and again, you know, I'm saying that these two guys have separated themselves. But here you have, you mentioned John Robb, and of course we have Brooks Kepka, who has another major chance this year, and he's runner-up to the Masters. Brooks Kepka is sitting there at 18 to one. Now I think because he's never won a Claret Jug, people just kind of assume he's not an Open Championship player. But he's got a solid record over here. Um, he's a great driver of the ball. He's a he's a very for one of the bombers. He's pretty accurate and. Uh, you know, again, he's we just know what he does at these majors. So, um, you know, I think he, he wants all the history with the majors. He wants double-pitch majors. He wants to do the Grand Slam. Uh, he's got to win the Open at some point. I think this course sets up uh, as well as, as some of the other places. And then another guy in that regard, another great driver who's in the 22 range. I think I got him last week at 25. He was my first bet, was Victor Hovland, who we've seen, you know, down the stretch at uh, three majors in the last year i had him last year at the open he kind of broke my heart he didn't really get anything going that final sunday playing with rory but um victor hovland is just one of the great drivers of the ball with rory with rom um he's right there and uh again you know in the past year he's given himself a lot of experience contending at majors uh, I, I think he's tremendous i think we're going to see some spectacular outfits from him as always i think we'll see some spectacular drives from him as always and you know, he gets a little knocked for that short game, but I don't think it matters quite as much here uh, when you're playing more of these low bump and run shots. So Victor Hovland was actually my first bet last week, uh, and then I added Rory and, and Brooks and kind of going three-headed monster of those guys uh, heading into tomorrow. Yeah, Brooks at 18-1 to 1, uh, got me there uh, just with how well he hits the ball. And yeah. when you dive into it, yeah, don't look at necessarily how he played at Royal Liverpool in 2014. Just look at the totality of his, his Open Championship experiences, and it's better than you may think. Uh, in right. that 22-category range, you also have Cam Smith, who is the defending champion. You also have Patrick Cantlay. Cam Smith, though, uh, obviously short game elitist, but when it comes to hitting the ball, accurately I think that that at least for me uh, takes him out of the equation for me here at this golf course because I think there is a premium on accuracy and Patrick Cantlay statistically he makes sense here but then you look at the fact that he's never been within five of the lead heading into Sunday of a major yeah I agree with you 100% on a crooked cam Uh, I'm (laughs) kidding I call I just came up with that I feel bad but I agree with you I mean he's um, you know I know he's the defending champ uh, obviously, he's probably about the fifth best player in the world, uh, but I don't think this course sets up nearly as well as St. Andrews did for him last year. 
Um, you know, I think he's defending. I think there's some stuff going on there. It's tough. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually my my biggest bet is a. I, I wanted a Brooks Kepka versus Patrick Cantlin bet, but I haven't found that matchup yet because they are playing together, which the RNA kind of seemed like they were almost trolling Brooks because we know Brooks was waiting on Patrick Cantlin at the Masters and got visibly frustrated. But I'm doing a Kepka versus. Cam Smith instead. It's about even. I think Kepka's a slight minus 120 guy. I just think, um, again, I, I love Kepka this week and I don't love Cam Smith this week. And, you know, you, you're getting them around the same odds. So, um, those, yeah, and, and you nailed it on the head with that stat with Patrick Canley. I mean, I forgot when that came out, if it was before the U.S. Open or the PGA, but that is a just a brutal stat for a guy who is, you know, a top five player in the world to have never even been in contention heading into the final of a major. I know he made a run at the 2019 Masters late, but to never have even been within five shots going into a final round of the major, I just don't know how you can bet the guy. I mean, again, I'm not saying he's never going to win a major in his career. He's obviously a tremendous player. But, um, you know, you got to play the numbers here, right, Kayla? And, and to me, a guy who's never even come close to winning uh, – I don't know how you can bet on him winning when there's so many other guys in the same odds range. I mean, like, why is Brooks Kepka priced even near this guy? Brooks Kepka's won five majors, including one this year. So, yeah, I think Cam uh, Patrick Canley is very overpriced this week, and I think Cam Smith's a little overpriced this week just based on the fact that he's a defending champ. What are we supposed to do with guys like Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Tyrrell Hatton, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth coming off back-to-back missed cuts, and then Dustin Johnson? Well, a couple of those names interest me. Colin Morikawa, actually. I mean, we know he he won an Open already uh, in England. Uh, Another very straight driver of the golf ball, nice little fade. Uh, And and DJ, again, is, is another guy like Brooks of all those bombers. You know, we don't have the strokes gain stats for him now since he's been on live, but, you know, you just picture him hitting that low bullet kind of fade. Um, and he's got a sneaky, solid open record as well. I remember he's a 36-hole leader once um, before letting it get away. But, um, so, again, I'm focusing on the, the guys who can put it in the fairway off the tee. And, and for me, of the guys you just said, it would be DJ and Morcona. Obviously, Spieth has a tremendous uh, open championship record. He's never missed a cut. He won back in 2017, again, at another English course. But he's just been a little erratic recently. I thought this was going to be a big year for him. The advanced metri- metrics kind of said it was, but he's kind of cooled off lately, including the missed cut last week at the Scottish Open. Um, and again, because of the, the out-of-bounds and everything else, you know he's due for that one or two wild swings per round. He could really get penalized this course. So I'm, I'm staying away from him even though I know his, uh, his open record is, is pretty stellar. Wrapping things up here with Alex Myers from Golf Digest as we're having an open championship from Royal Liverpool conversation. Uh, I'm going to lump him in this category as long as some long shots here. I went with Justin Rose, a little concerned maybe about length, but certainly he has the accuracy and the iron play to get it done. Do you have any other long shots for us? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get much more accurate than Corey Connors. Uh, and, uh, you know, actually his odds have moved pretty significantly more now in the 60 to one range. He was 80 to one when I was looking last week. So I'm kind of kicking myself there. Um, his wife actually picked up Adam Shank's clubs at the airport when they were missing. So he's got some good karma coming to him <laughs> as well. Uh, but no, I, I really like Corey Connors. 
Um, he's a Canadian, you know, the, the cold weather, the wind's not going to bother him much. Um, and then down in the, you know, kind of even below that, there are two guys who were at least, when I looked yesterday, 100 to 1 area. Um, Russell Henley, okay, he's 90 to 1 now. Russell Henley, uh, T4 at the Masters this year, T14 at the U.S. Open, another pretty straight hitter. Um, and who is my other guy down in here? Oh, I like Keegan Bradley in the 100 range. Another, I don't, I don't think he's going to win this tournament. But if you're looking for a top 10, top 20 bet, you know, playing the best golf of his life recently at that Travelers Championship. One of the great drivers of the golf ball certainly has the length. Does not have a great open record, admittedly, but again, I think this course of maybe all the open rota um, maybe sets up best for him by by focusing on his driving prowess. So I like those two guys in that hundred to one range. Alex, it's always a blast catching up with you, talking golf, and uh, it's sad that this is the final major of the year, but I know we'll be doing it again soon. Appreciate the time, as always, and uh, have fun staying up late or getting up early. That's right. Yeah, it'll be getting up early for me. Same, same to you, Kayla. Thanks, as always, and uh, good luck with all your bets. Thanks you so much. Once again, he is Alex Myers there of Golf Digest as we were getting into the Open Championship from Royal Liverpool. The official card for me, uh, FanDuel had an insurance here, so I did go Scotty Scheffler plus 650. Uh, if it doesn't hit and he finishes in the top 20, you get your money back. So excited about that potential opportunity on the horizon for Scotty Scheffler. Brooks Kepka at 18 to 1, going Dustin Johnson 33 to 1, taking that long shot, Justin Rose at 6. 60 to 1, also taking him top 30 at plus 120. And Min Woo Lee, he seems to show up in these big time events. He finished T15 at the British Masters a couple of weeks ago, top 30 at plus 140 for Min Woo Lee. And Alex Myers piqued my interest about some head to head matchups. I do feel pretty good about Brooks Kepka, so seeing where I can find him in some head to head matchups this week, or also maybe even thinking about trying to fade Cam Smith in particular head to head matchups as well. But it's poll question time. We do it next here on the Extra Point. Listen to rewards for you with the KQS 1060 app. Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KTUS 1060 app. Digest for his time talking all things Open Championship. If you missed the conversation podcast over at KDOS1060.com as well as with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Welcome back. It is the Extra Point on this July 19th. Here on KDOS AM 1060, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you as we get into the poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS 1060.com poll question, switching our attention to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the question here is, should the Diamondbacks offer top minor league prospect shortstop Jordan Lawler to the White Sox for starting pitcher Dylan Cease? Yes or no, Bob? Uh, yes, I would do that. Uh, partly because first up, you never know, no matter how much pedigree somebody has. And, you know, I've only seen clips of Lawler and you don't see bad clips of players. Uh, I've never watched him play a full game, but he's not killing it in the minor leagues. Uh, you see a triple A, excuse me, double A Amarillo is hitting 243, does have 13 home runs and 39 runs batted in, at least before yet, you know, heading into yesterday's game with 26 stolen bases. But you don't, there's no guarantee, I don't think, that he's going to be a for-sure stud Major League player. Plus the fact that Perdomo has really emerged this year. 
And uh, you know, you know, we wondered if he was going to get any playing time when the season started with Nick Ahmed being the incumbent and clearly is past Ahmed. And you know, he uh, Perdomo has a, a future here. And then part, uh, you know, part three of this, I guess, is the, the cease uh, contract situation. Uh, you know, he has uh, you know, two more years, actually the rest of this year at $5.7 million. Then he has two more elig- uh, arbitration eligible years. And then he's not even eligible for free agency until after the 2020, uh, actually 2025 season uh, after that. So it's three, you know, two and a half more seasons roughly that you have him under control, at least contractually. So throw all that together, and I would actually make the deal. And uh, you know, the other thing I'll add to this and uh, conclude is that uh, I think the White Sox are going to get more for Dylan Cease than any pitcher that gets traded, in the, or at least any pitcher we expect or might be traded in the market. I think that he actually would get more in return. Uh, they get more in return for him than anybody else because I don't think Otani is going to be traded. I don't think that Scherzer or Verlander are going to be traded. I have seen that John Heyman was reporting that the Astros want Dylan Cease. Um, Everybody does. Yeah. yeah. And reporting that the White Sox, uh, that they he's not an untouchable for them, but therefore that makes it that the price is going to be quite steep in order to oh, get yeah. Dylan Cease. Absolutely. That's why I think that the. If he gets traded, I think there's a really high probability that the White Sox get more of a haul from him than any pitcher or probably even any player that gets traded before now and uh, August the 1st. Does it concern you at all? I mean, he's still a young player at 26, 27 years old, uh, that he was second in the Cy Young last year, but then this year his ERA has uh, gone up to 4.18. He does have 129 strikeouts, 45 walks this year. So uh, it's not as dominant as last year. Does that at all concern you? Not really. I mean, dominant last year, maybe that actually concerns me a little bit more because he was amongst the luckiest pitchers in baseball last year when he had much better numbers. Uh, he had a, you know, they still have terrible defense in Chicago, but for whatever reason, last year they made more errors when he was on the mound. He led the American League in most unearned runs, uh, unearned runs allowed last year, which is. Yeah, that, that the one thing that it says about the pitcher, well, one you know, the defense is terrible, but once in a while it'd be nice if a pitcher could you know overcome that and you know get some guys out after the defense fails him. But you know that defense failed him pretty miserably last year and hasn't been quite as awful this year. Uh, so for me here, I think that if it is Jordan Lawler um, and trading for Dylan Cease, that it is something that you absolutely have to put on the table uh, if that's all that it, it is because of Dylan Cease's contract and the fact that he has those two arbitration years and then becomes the unrestricted free agent in t- 2026. So it's not necessarily just a rental in this particular case. So I think that it's going to be a situation where you'd have him uh, for, for kind of continuing Continuing to build what you've started this year and obviously identifying starting pitching as a need I think that starts to address that so that would be uh, I think a smart thing for them to throw their their hat in the ring for this particular acquisition but as you've pointed out uh, the price is going to be quite steep yeah I'll just add one more thing I can't imagine the Diamondbacks could acquire him without including Lawler in the deal 
The masses, though, are now on the no side of things at 55% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 45%. It's been a wild back and forth, yes and no, all three hours of the program. But that's where things stand over at KDOS1060.com right now. Flipping this conversation, poll questions over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Bob had a conversation with Essen Kassim of the Tallahassee Democrat talking all things Florida State football. Here's the question. Is Florida State a legitimate contender to reach the 2023 college football playoff final four? And obviously, they certainly have weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Mike Norvell has kind of turned things around there. You can have a a leap in that connection with Jordan Travis and Johnny Wilson. There are some questions on the defensive side of the ball. And I can't get out of my head here that it's I'm having a hard time with until you kind of prove it. uh, It's hard to bypass some of the other schools that have really just planted themselves in those positions so far. I think that's a good point. Yeah, the one thing about the ACC that you know, I forgot to mention at the top of the hour, there's no divisions, thank God, anymore in the ACC. It was the most ridiculous. You know, I, I'm you know, I'm never a big fan of the divisions anyway, but I think that pretty much you know, almost everybody is, you know, except for the SEC, has gotten rid of divisions at this point. But uh, the, the Coastal and the Atlantic, it was just so lopsided. It was ridiculous. So no divisions. Uh, the one thing about uh, the you know, FSU, they might be done by September. I mean, week one they play LSU, and they conclude September playing against Clemson. And if they lose both those games, see you later, bye. They're out of the college football playoff mix. But they do not play uh, North Carolina or Duke. Uh, you know, a lot of, most people seem to think North Carolina is the third best team. I do not think that personally. I think that Duke is more likely to be number three than North Carolina, but they don't play either of them. So that's a good thing, too. So schedule-wise, that uh, definitely increases, increases Florida State's chances. Uh, I'm going to say no, though, to the question. I don't think uh, – well, I think they're legitimate contenders. I guess I'm saying yes. But I would be really surprised if they actually made the college football playoff. I just don't think they have enough depth – to make it through an entire season, uh, most likely they're going to have a key injury somewhere, and they have a lack of depth at linebacker and I think defensive back. Uh, the masses are on the no side of things at 75% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 25%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. We wrap up this Wednesday, July 19th edition of Extra Point on the other side of the break. It's been full of uh, plenty of different topics. Major League Baseball, the NFL, the Diamondbacks. We'll also have another update on uh, how you can watch Diamondbacks games with the news about Bally Sports Arizona. Diamond Sports and the Diamondbacks uh, no longer continuing their contract in Major League Baseball taking things over. So we'll update that uh, in addition to a few other miscellaneous items that have caught my attention. We conclude this Wednesday, July 19th edition here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports next. Turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com.
Wrapping up this Wednesday, July 19th edition of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob, it's thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the uh, callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today, I guess plural, a Florida State preview with Essen Kasim of the uh, Tallahassee Democrat and also a British Open preview with Alex Myers of Golf Digest with Kayla earlier this hour. Tomorrow, by the way, in the Sports Zone, we'll preview LSU. Jaden Daniels, obviously, former ASU quarterback, did a nice job for uh, LSU last year. Is considered to be the best quarterback in the SEC this season by many. As far as the sound today, courtesy of WMVP in Chicago. Uh, also, uh, Major League Baseball, ACC Digital Network, Pac-12 Network, FS1, the Dodgers flagship, LAD 570, KNBR, the Giants flagship in San Francisco, and WCBS 880, that's the New York flagship in New York City. Also, special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron, and Kayla is going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Coming up next from noon to one o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from one to three, the Rich Eisen Show from three to five, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from five to six. So the Diamondbacks are playing the Braves. It's a 4.20 p.m. start. And as we mentioned earlier on in the program here, uh, Major League Baseball has taken over the production and distribution of all Arizona Diamondbacks games for the remainder of the season. If you have Cox TV, you're the new channel to watch the games is going to be channel four. If you have direct TV, the new channel is 686-3. If you do not have cable or satellite, you can subscribe through MLB.tv. Or if you just want to find out more information about all of it, go to dbacks.com slash watch. Uh, in addition to that, tickets for Cardinals training camps became available today. That's over at azcardinals.com slash camp ticks. Parking and admission is free, but you still need a digital ticket to enter the first practice for the Cardinals, July 27th, 1.15 to 2.30 p.m. from State Farm Stadium. Then the Back Together weekend, Saturday, July 29th, 1.15 to 2.45 p.m. And the Red and White practice, Saturday, August 5th, 1.15 to 3.15 p.m. Also... I guess we shouldn't be surprised about this, but it is unfortunate. When the Pac-12 gets their media day started this week, they will not be revealing details on a new TV deal because they have nothing yet to reveal. I'll just add one more thing. San Diego State has agreed to stay in the Mountain West Conference also. As always, we appreciate you listening to us right here on KDOS AM 1060. Everyone have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday. We do it again tomorrow with the Sports Zone starting at 9 a.m. And the college football previews continue. It's an LSU conversation with Wilson Alexander. That's all happening here on tomorrow's programs. Have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday and talk to you then.